Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Disciples Quest. I'm Justin. I'm Will. And I'm Emily. And we are here today uh, joined with a special guest. Uh, his name is Pastor. His Hi. name is Pastor Tim. <laughs> Pastor. Hi there. And today we're going to have a great discussion with uh, Pastor Tim here, and we're going to touch on a few things that William will kind of tell us here that we're going to talk about. Yeah, so when I was setting this up with Pastor Tim, um, he had a couple really interesting conversations about keeping love in the church and intellectualism in the church. And honestly, half we talked about over the phone could have been a podcast in itself. So I'm pretty excited about this. It's been a long time coming. Awesome. Nice. Sweet. Uh, So before we get this thing rolling, uh, hey, William, how was your week? It was pretty good. Um, I moved this week, but wow, I literally moved one floor down in the exact same building, mm-hmm. <laughs> just into a bigger apartment. So it was the easiest move of my life, but it's still a lot of work. Um, I had to move, like this is the first time I moved, not on a weekend, so it's kind of like in between my work and everything, but it's coming along pretty nicely. So, And I've started working at home this week too, and that's going pretty good, so I'm really enjoying it. Awesome. How about you, Emily? How was your week? My week was all right. So this week I helped William move a little bit and I'm excited that I'm going to live here too once we get married. So that's cool. Um, And I worked some overnight shifts, so I'm tired, but I'm making it through. So (laughs) yeah. Awesome. Glad to hear that. What about you, Justin? Uh, My week was uh, pretty good. I worked overtime this week, so stayed busy. Um, you get that time and a half where you were? Oh yeah, definitely. And, uh, the other day I worked till three in the morning, uh, just building straight up bikes because we have a lot that we got in a shipment. And last year there's this massive bike shortage across the entire country. So this year they're making up for it and they're expecting that we're going to sell a ton because gas prices are absolutely insane. So I'd say like 80% of the customers coming into our store are saying that they're buying bikes specifically because there's no way they're driving all year, hmm. which is fair. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be biking to work too with these gas prices, but uh, yeah, my week was good. Just very busy with that. Sweet. Okay. Well, then we may as well get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. So we're talking you can here. ask Pastor Tim how his day was or his week? I guess we can ask you how your <laughs> week was. It was a pretty stellar week. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Glad to hear. Kate. Uh, sweet. So William, you want to pull up those questions you got there? Yeah, absolutely. So, Pastor Tim, as I understand it, um, or I shouldn't be so formal. So, I once a week, I attend a young adults group at Christian Fellowship Chapel, and Pastor Tim has recently become the new pastor there. And so, that's how I know him, and that's how we got him to come on the podcast with us. And I just wanted to ask you a few questions about what it's like being a pastor. As I understand, is this your first church you're pastoring? That's right. So, how long have you been pastoring this church now? Six months. Six months. How are you finding it? I like it. Yeah, it's been good. I just focused primarily on getting to know people. Good. That's pretty cool. I haven't come to see one of your sermons yet, but I want to. Awesome. Mm. Yeah, that'd be fun. And how many people is the church approximately? Uh, they say it's about 65 members, but with mm-hmm. COVID, it's been kind of hard to keep track of yeah. numbers. Mm. Okay. So, I mean, it, it's hard to scale that because now churches can be anywhere from like three people to 3,000 people. But I guess that'd be considered on like the smaller scale, which... Yeah. From our experience growing up in a small church, I prefer um, mm-hmm. for that exact reason that you said, right? You get to actually get to know your yeah, congregation. Mm-hmm. You can have relationships with them, which like, I think there's pros and cons to big churches and small churches. Um, but the biggest thing that I've, I've, I've always loved about that small church is the community aspect yeah. that I don't think you can 
like you can get it to an extent in a big church because you have like a you have these little groups, mm-hmm. groups and meetings that you guys can attend. But as a congregation, like before COVID hit, our churches like we're pretty uh, charismatic and like we'd go around the church and hug each other. Like everyone's family. Aww. Everyone loves each other. And that's one part of smaller churches that I've always loved is that you can actually like check up on each other. You're like, oh, hey, how have you been? You told me about this thing you were going through last week. Like that part, I think, is going to be uh, great for a small church. Yeah. I actually recently read an article in the Globe and Mail talking about churches, and they said that between 100 to 200 is the best size for a church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I think, what do they base that on? Uh, the ability to have community feeling as well as practical needs like covering your bills. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. See, and the only other, the only downside I'd say to a church that is like on the 30 people minus side is that there is no children's church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is no groups outside mm-hmm. of just church itself. Yeah. It's just church because it's just, there's not enough members. So that makes sense that it would be between 100 and 200. Mm-hmm. That's For interesting. Sure. So can I ask how long did it take to become a pastor and by through what means or channels did you have to go through? Like what kind of education and all that? Sure. Well, I did three years at Miller College of the Bible to get my bachelor nice. degree there. And then... I worked at a ministry for five years called Rock Solid Refuge, working with teenage boys with addictions. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I moved on to work at Union Gospel Mission for three and a half years. Awesome. And then to Christian Fellowship Chapel, where I'm now pastor. So that's still a decent amount of experience. Yeah. Nice. And I've heard nothing but good things about Miller. So yes. I, when I was thinking about, I didn't, but when I was thinking about going to Bible school, that's the place I was thinking about going to. Mm. I just heard lots of good things about it from different friends that I have. So. Mm. I have a question. This, you said you were helping teenage boys with addictions. Yeah. So did that, because I, I know a, a pastor that works for Teen Challenge and mm. um, he deals with the people that are kind of in like that first stage of recovery. Mm-hmm. Is it, I'm guessing it's not just like the, I'm guessing you're more the, uh, what's the word? Um, you're more of like a, a spiritual guide or are you actually trying to, weighing them off of the drug itself like is it is it like a discussion that you have with them just about like how their life's going and stuff like a therapist kind of thing or yeah a lot of it's trying to deal with like how do we cope with stress in our lives how do we deal with past issues and Mm. identity Mm. those are some of the key things we deal with those are great things to focus on yeah i think regardless of if you have addictions or not those are important things yeah i think uh stress is something that can come out of nowhere in a lot of people's Mm -hmm. lives and What's in your heart at that current stage is what comes mm-hmm. to the forefront. So I think it's always good to prepare for how we're going to deal with these hard times. I was going to say, I uh, before COVID hit, I started volunteering uh, for Teen Challenge uh, just in like the worship part of it. So uh, the pastor that I was talking about invited me to just play music for them. And from the experience that I had for people that don't know Teen Challenge, I think they're worldwide. I don't think they're just Canada. Yeah. I think they're the States too and everything. I thought for some reason it was just teenagers because the name mm. Teen Challenge, but they were actually, they were all adults that were getting off drugs. And when I walked in that room, my first thought was a judgmental one, which mm. I'm not uh, proud of, but I saw a group of guys and I'm like, yeah, this isn't going to go well. And these guys all look like they're down in the dumps and this, this is going to be interesting. I don't know. I, I didn't really know what I was expecting. He asked me to choose uh, three songs of worship to lead them into. And then he was going to do the sermon and everything. And the very first song I played, 
I played the first verse and every single one of those guys had their hands up in worship. <laughs> wow. And like they were crying. And I was so moved and I was so ashamed that I had made that judgment of all oh, these guys are just druggies and stuff. Mm. Even though I didn't fully think that, it was kind of in the back of my mind. Um, but then I saw these guys and they were just in complete praise. So, um, yeah, I just thought that was very moving. So I know that these groups do a lot of work. And like you said, um, the identity thing is interesting because I think today that's something that is really missing mm. is people searching for an identity and they're looking everywhere except for God, which yeah. I can say I did with my life. It's pretty, pretty impactful for those young boys, especially for a younger man like yourself. I think that's huge too. Yeah. That it comes from a guy that, you know, mm-hmm. looks like them and everything <laughs> probably helps. No, I think that's really good. Um, have you been finding that it's been difficult being a younger pastor? Like if people have had trouble accepting you or? No, I think the elderly folks have been some of the warmest ones to talk with. Mm. I mm. love going over there for tea, coffee, and having some pastries. So <laughs> put on <laughs> a little good. bit of weight since pastoring. Yeah. But <laughs> no, it's it's been really good. Mm. It's a unique church because the board had talked a lot about how they try to prepare the congregation for what it would be like mm. to have a new pastor and what a pastor's responsibilities are and more specifically what they aren't and how different pastors do different things. Hmm. And is it like, how is the ratio of ages there? Is it a lot of the older folks or is it a significant number of younger people there too? Or Yeah, I would say there's probably about 30% elderly if I was to put a number on it. Mm-hmm. And then there's a few younger ones, but uh, mostly more of the middle-aged crowd. Hmm. Oh, okay. I, I have to ask, you had said like they, they talk about some of the things you can do and some of the things that you shouldn't. Yeah. So what are the, some of these things that you should and shouldn't do? Well, I shouldn't do like anything to do with electricity or painting, things like <laughs> oh, that. Yeah? yeah, that's not my job. They instruct you not to be you the wouldn't want guy. Me to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, more primarily, I should focus on the relationship side, shepherding and uh, biblical counsel with people. Mm. And we pastors do things differently. I think there's... Even churches, they have their own culture. And I don't think there's one specific church culture that's better than another, Mm -hmm. but we're all parts of the body and we have different strengths. Mm -hmm. That's very true. And I, I used to think badly about denominations because of that. But I'm like, well, there's, you guys are so different from each other. I don't get it. Like we should all be unified. Well, we're all still unified with Christ, but there's so many different ways to, to do that. Mm -hmm. Like I've led worship at many different churches some churches are like ours where they're very charismatic. Everyone's praising and worship and there's clapping and dancing. And then I go to churches where everyone looks like they're soldiers <laughs> and no yeah. one's singing. And it's like, whoa, this is just different. Yeah. They do worship here different. But it's not that that's bad. It's just that it's different. And mm. people have different, I guess, personalities. And maybe that's why they lean towards going to certain churches because it fits more of that. But then that can get to a whole other conversation about why some people choose to leave churches. I think some people leave for silly reasons. Oh boy. Like, Oh, I don't really like the worship that much. You know, they had drums and the drums are a little too much for me. So let's go to a different church. <laughs> like, right. There was one person using that electric guitar and that just turned me off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually played the drums at our church a couple of times. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's cool. Hey, a yeah. pastor that can play the drums. Sounds good to me. And the old people loved it. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Are you finding that, I don't know, uh, being a pastor is what you expect it to be like, or is it quite vastly different? 
No, I'd say pretty much what I expected. And uh, yeah, I mean, when you just start out, they recommend you don't do a lot of changes too quickly. And mm. I mean, that's really good advice because when you come in, you're still learning yourself. So yeah. what I might want to change right now, two or three years from now, might look different. Mm. Especially once I get to know what they're like and what their needs mm-hmm. really are. So just listening and trying to adapt to the needs of the church. Yeah. I actually never thought about that. Being a pastor, I guess a big part of it would just be like every church would be different. Every congregation would be different. And so how you act, behave, or adjust things might be heavily dependent on what their needs are. It might vary from church to church. I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's very tricky because you get caught up in thinking on a one track mind, like if, with these false dichotomies, right? Like we're going to focus on outreach, but then you sacrifice the members who are at the church who've been there and helped establish it. Yeah. Or you just focus on those members and sacrifice outreach. Like how can mm-hmm. we do both? Mm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any like ideas or plans for the future and how to, I guess, implement outreach programs or systems in place because like that's something that's really interested me like and how do churches get more people or how do they maintain the same number of people when people slowly leave or is this something that you're working on currently yeah well we just started up some new programs because of the covid restrictions lifting Mm -hmm. so we did our first movie night and we had over 60 new people come into our church for the first Mm -hmm. time to watch a movie together really yeah Nice. Watched God's Not Dead for so you know they say hey. two things you shouldn't talk about religion and politics. We picked a movie that had both. <laughs> cool, <laughs> and yes. it turned out really. But well. apparently people showed up, so yeah. maybe it's something you can talk about. Yeah, and the ne- next day we had three people come that were out at that movie night to the church service, and then we had three more from that movie night come again this mm. Sunday. So yeah. that's awesome. I heard it advertised on CHVN. So yeah, <laughs> yeah that's cool. Yeah, and then mm. we're doing our theology matters, which. I'm not sure if I would call that an outreach because I expect to get currently churched people coming out because these topics primarily relate right. to church people, but still worth worthwhile conversations to have. Mm. And then we're doing a board games night once a month too. Mm. Yeah. So we want to have uh, one Friday a month, invite people from the community out to play board games together. <laughs> there wouldn't be a Bible study per se, but if they're young adults, hey, guess what? We do this every week. Why don't you come out? Mm-hmm. But by the way, we're going to sneak in a little Bible study. Yeah. yeah hey, nice. Build build a community. I mean, that's the way they do it. And um, I, I never mind. I was going to say something that's a little off topic. I was just going to talk about like the young adults in general on how I found it. But I guess I could talk about it because it is the church. It's the mm-hmm. same church. Yeah. So I'll, I'll still say it. I wanted to say I really like the approach that CFC has for their young adults. I've been to, I currently go to four different Bible studies. Wow. And the one on Friday night at CFC is my favorite one. And it's because it's just like we, we play games for a little bit, you know, and we we uh, we riff for a while and, and joke around. But then we get into the meat and potatoes and we just open our Bibles and read. And yeah. that's it. It's an actual Bible study where I've been to many other Bible studies where there'll be like a video that we watch and it's like a pastor talking, which is fine. He has his message. And then there's a little short clip that has like little jokes in it. And then there's just questions at the end. And then that's it. And then <laughs> the person that invited me, I looked and I'm like, this isn't a Bible study. We, like I brought my Bible. It was never opened. Wow. This isn't a Bible mm-hmm. study. But this, we are going through the verses. We're all reading it together. And we're all looking at each other saying, what is God trying to say here? 
Hmm. Like, what is the what is the message she's trying to get? And then we're all coming with different perspectives, and we're all trying to unify on on what the meaning could possibly be. I think I, I always find it super, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, super knowledgeable and always helpful. It's a good way to grow in community and in knowledge together. So, yeah, very nice. <laughs> yeah, and like alternatively, it could also go the other way. Although I would much rather like there's can be some Bible studies where it's so loose that you watch a quick video, ask a couple of questions, and then it's games and dancing all night or whatever. But I've also seen it where it's like, it's so rigid to where you don't really ask your own questions. Hmm. You don't talk about what you want to talk about. Right. The questions are just formulated for you. Mm-hmm. You can have like, here's six questions. Let's talk about only these ones in the scripture. And then, okay, that's it. Go home. Right. And um, so I find that CFC is that nice balance of like, well, it certainly helps that the people actually want to talk about the Bible, <laughs> right? There's <laughs> not true. much, there's not really anyone that has to keep anyone in line um, or keeping them on track, I don't find, but I would much have it more rigid than too loose, but having a balance between having some fun, being able to crack some jokes, but also focusing on the Bible and asking the important questions and having that conversation for long periods of time, mm-hmm. that's what I really enjoy, so... That's something that I found really unique about the church is that they are very focused on sound teaching, but they have such a deep love for each other too, which should go hand in hand, yes. but it often doesn't in churches. You're right. You're definitely right about that. I like that too. Mm-hmm. Um, The next question and the last one before we start talking about the topics that we're planning to discuss today is why did you, be, why did you decide to become a pastor? Actually, I was in Saskatchewan, and after I worked at Rock Solid Refuge, I kind of skipped over one job I had. Okay. Like, mm-hmm. I worked with the uh, elderly in a hospital in a long-term care ward, and I kept hearing from my friends in Winnipeg, like, yeah, this church is falling away into this very liberal teaching, and this one falling away, and I go on the news, I guess your news feed starts to, you know, get used to what you're looking mm-hmm. up, and notice I was looking at Winnipeg, and yeah, all these different problems are going on in our churches, and I just didn't understand how people could abandon such basic in-your-face truths. And the word of God was getting pushed to the outskirts and people were ashamed of the gospel. Hmm. Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel. Come on, guys. Yeah, right. So that's what drove me to come back to Winnipeg, to be able to Hmm. have an opportunity to actually get involved. It seemed like there were countless opportunities. In small town Saskatchewan, there wasn't a lot of opportunities. but Hmm. Sounds about right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so that drove me to Winnipeg, to UGM, and then finally into CFC. Cool. Mm. That's had, really awesome. Had you applied at many other churches before you're getting this one? or? Ooh, is that taboo to talk about? Yeah, I did. I don't know. I, I did apply at some. <laughs> we might take it out, but go ahead and, and talk about it. Yeah, yeah, I had applied at some, and it was, uh, oh, that was a very interesting process. But uh, <laughs> one said I didn't have enough church experience. I'm like, well, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> church yeah, experience. I love that. Applying for jobs is the same, right? Like you're trying to apply a job for the thing that you went to school for, but you don't have experience for it yet. But yeah, that's but why you, you want to, to get to the job. <laughs> they can't hire you as a pastor because you haven't been a pastor before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. And then there was one job I had applied at, not when I was looking for a pastor job, but long, many years ago, I was applied for a ministry position and they said they wouldn't hire me. They said, you know, you meet all the qualifications, but you're not married and you don't have children. I mm. thought to myself, you know what? The apostle Paul wasn't married and he didn't yeah. have children. Like, yeah. Okay. And- it's, it's a very interesting standard to hire somebody based on if like their status in life that's not see biblical that that actually yeah that doesn't really make sense because if you actually read i believe it's uh i think it's in philippians or colossians don't quote me on that but 
Paul was talking about that exact topic and he was actually saying that people that are single can often be closer to mm-hmm. God because mm-hmm. your focus is not on someone else, but your whole focus is on God. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of silly that they would say that because for that exact reason. I mean, the Bible is clear that God blesses the people that are married, but mm-hmm. you can also be even closer to God than people that are married if you're single. So that's a that's an interesting reason that they would use. Yeah. And I mean, I have my degree, but I mean, if somebody doesn't have their degree, but they do understand the word, they have a passion for it. Should they not be qualified? That's yeah. another question. I, I think so. Yeah. I, think, I don't know. We might live in a culture where people do put too much pressure on, I don't even want to say education because it's not even education. Well, it is, but a specific kind of education, like certified stamp of approval, uh, big institutional education where it's like you could get it. It used to be that if you were taught by someone good, then you're qualified for your skills, then you could get this job with a certain salary or whatever. But these days it's like you got to go to university and you got to have all these specific courses and a lot of it's kind of bloat, but it is the way that it is. What did they do before these universities existed? (laughs) That's right. Like you had to gain, I mean, you would obviously, you'd keep the guy accountable and you'd you'd see if he does know what he's talking Mm -hmm. about, that he, what he's saying is based on the word. Yeah. And then you'd go from there. Like, and I mean, degrees don't mean anything because you have people with same level of education with polar opposite ideas. Review, so I've seen people yeah. who have more degrees in Fahrenheit who are speaking absolute heresy. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I think it's more about calling than qualification. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I guess we might as well get into one of the topics um, that we talked about over the phone. So the first one is keeping love in the church. I don't know how far we'll get today. We might not even get to intellectualism or any of the other possibilities that we talked about, but I'm totally fine with that. So it's like just as far as we get until we yeah. feel like stopping. I guess we <laughs> go the to questions 45. I wrote up were all about the love topic. So well, there you go. <laughs> like I feel like this one might actually just take out the rest of the time. So, but we'll see. We'll just start and we'll just keep going with it. Um, so keeping love in the church. So, hmm, would you be able to summarize? I guess this topic. Like, why is it you want to talk about it? Why has it been on your heart? Well, I mean, if you look at what Jesus said were the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty good reason right there. If we are Christians, Christ followers, we should follow Christ's words and his priorities. Do you feel like it's an issue right now, keeping love in the church? Like, is there a problem with, I guess, us not doing it as much as we have in the past? Or how do you feel like this, or, this is an issue in the current day? I think there's probably more confusion about love in the church than denial of love in the church. I think a lot of people want to be loving, but they're not sure how to play it out. Mm. I do think competing passions play a huge part as well. We're all leading very busy lives and we don't make time for God. And if you're not in the word, you're not going to bear fruit in my opinion. Like if you have a love for God, it accompanies with a love for the knowledge of God. Mm. And that's, that's how the devil works against us is through our thoughts and our minds. So if we love God, we're seeking to know him more. Like if I say I love my wife, but I don't want to talk to her, that's, that just doesn't work. That's not really being in love. So, so you've I, been observing confusion, I guess, on this issue. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, people if you not, look, look at liberalism. I think that comes out of an idea of love. People want to say, yes. well, we love, therefore we accept. But if we truly understood the nature of sin versus the nature of God, then we would realize it's not loving to condone sin. I see. Mm. So how do you think that we can improve this in the church specifically? Like if this is something that's happening in the church and it's 
corrupting certain, how do I explain it, ideologies, I guess, in the church or whatever. What do you think that, how do we fix that? Like, how do we, how do we do this better? I think first and foremost, we have to be able to uh, empty ourselves. What do you mean? I must, I must decrease so he can increase, right? That's what the Mm. John the Baptist said. Yeah. So if we can get rid of our own focuses, try and get our identity out of the picture and put Christ's into the picture, that's, Mm -hmm. that's going to speak volumes. If we can live gospel centered lives, then we'll truly understand what it means to love our enemies. Primarily, if we understand that we are loved. Yeah. If we focus on both those things, the love of God and the love of man, I think everything just falls into place. Love God first and foremost, and then you will love one another. Then the love in the church will make a lot more sense. And we've pushed down the idea of sin under the guise of being loving. Right. And that's actually right. hindered love from growing in our church. So in other words, like the Christians are too scared to talk about sin and talk about the consequences of your actions. Um, and I think what you had said a little bit earlier kind of reminded me of like times where my faith wasn't as good were times where God was never my focus. Like I would think about him maybe once every few days I'd be like, Oh, let me throw in a worship song. But like the average day, the first thing that I would think about when I woke up was myself. And I was like, I woke up, I'm like, Oh, I'm tired. I should have not slept as long. Then I'll get out of bed. I'm hungry. Then I'm doing this, doing that, get myself prepared for work. I go to work my whole day. I'm just focused on work, go home, do something that I want to do, go to the gym and then play video games, something I want to do and then go to bed. Now. And then I'm wondering why I'm like, Oh, why does, why does my spirit not feel good right now? Like something's off. Well, maybe because God was never my focus and my focus was myself, which makes sense why that my spirit didn't feel right. Yeah. And if you think about the times in your life where you experienced the deepest connection with God, it's probably times that were tough where you actually had to sacrifice something. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. Like you said, when you live in for yourself, you don't feel that connection with God. The times where I felt closest to God or the times that I've even just felt generally the happiest, the times where I like looked forward to every single day was when I, when I, when I realize I'm closest to Christ, when I'm, when I'm reading the scripture every day, when I'm praising God, when I'm praying like all the time, there are times where I'll be, I'll pray on my way to work. I'll pray when I'm at work. I'll pray on my way home. And it lifts my spirit in a way that nothing else could, nothing else will. Mm. And I think like you're kind of saying like the constant, like, like what, what, what I was saying a little bit earlier is that I wasn't wanting to face the consequences of my actions because um, I was too scared to, I guess. And that's where I think that love needs to be shown because I, I know that Christ would forgive me of those sins, but I didn't want to deal with the physical consequences of that, which might be telling the truth that I was lying to somebody and having to deal with that and having to rebuild relationships. Like it's not easy to do yeah. in the moment. But once, like you said, when you sacrifice, you actually realize that uh, God's love ends up filling that void, I guess somehow. Yeah. I guess not to go on a tangent, but the more you live a life of sin, the harder it is to turn from it because the more that infrastructure is built up around that life of sin I mean, if you just, if you're living a life of giving into like your desires, I'm not saying that's what you were doing, Justin, but I'm just saying, um, you're saying because it was hard to turn away from 
or to stop doing certain things or to start doing certain things because of like what was already in place. Is that accurate? Yep. So yeah, I guess if you're say, for example, giving into your desires or whatever, then maybe you have friends now that you hang out with that also do that, that would think you're weird or possibly not even want to be your friends anymore if you stopped. And then there's, if you're lying, then you potentially have to tell people that you are lying or that this was a lie or whatever. And the harder it becomes to to repent. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, hmm. like it says in Romans 6, it says... What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Hmm. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may, we too may live in a new life. Um, so, yeah. So understanding what you've been saved from. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because like I said, I, like, I know there are times where I've, I've sinned and I just know that God will forgive me. So who really cares about the consequences? I'll mm. just repeat it again later on and God will forgive me. Um, but that's not real forgiveness. That's not real. That's not grace. Well, that your mind is not, you're not really asking for forgiveness if in the back of your mind you're thinking about, well, who really cares because I can just do it again later and ask for forgiveness again. Well, then you didn't really ask forgiveness properly in the first place. Your heart was never in it, I think. Yeah. And here's a, uh, a good passage, I think, for relating to sin. It's in uh, Hebrews 3, starting verse 12. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So just this idea of it's unbelief in our heart that leads us to sin. Like Satan comes to Eve in the garden. Did God really say she sees the fruits desirable to eat? So she doesn't really believe what God said was for her own good. Mm. And that's where sin gets a hold in you. Like you said, it it hardens your heart and it literally mm. does the deceitfulness of it is that it's going to satisfy you, but then it leaves you empty and then you go to it again and again and you become hard. Mm. Yeah. And I think we can all, we can often ignore uh, the truth of what the Bible says because it's not fun and it's not necessarily comfortable to do. And it's, it's far more comfortable to do what I want to do because uh, it's less effort, I guess. And it seems it seems like in the moment they'll be, I'll be more satisfied with it, but it's always temporary. It never lasts, and it always makes me feel more empty afterwards. Yeah. Then when I when I actually live according to what God taught, maybe it takes more effort to do, but it actually satisfies my soul, which is kind of what you need. That's kind of the point. That that I mean, that's showing God's real love, I guess. Um, so before we talked about the apostle Paul, which was an interesting thing to bring up because of how we've been going over books, of the Bible written by Paul. So we just finished, um, talking about Ephesians and next we're going to be doing Philippians. So, um, the apostle Paul wrote many letters to the early church. Um, in these letters, it is evident that he loves the people that he was writing to. How can we love as Paul did? <laughs> Ooh. How can we love as Paul did? Yeah. Like, yeah, that guy was sacrificing all the time and he was heavenly minded at the same time. 
So I think loving like Paul did is willing to risk your praise from man because of your love for God. He talks about that often. I mean, 1 Corinthians, he talks about the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. And we're going to look foolish in the world's eyes. Mm-hmm. But that's what the gospel is. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. Yeah, I'd say there's a few things to being uh, loving like Paul. But one is um, trying to keep your mind focused on pleasing Christ more than him. So that's why you speak the truth to people. And it says in Galatians 1 verse 10, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. <laughs> so if we're focusing on pleasing people and their desires in the worldly sense, then that's not true love. So mm-hmm. I think love comes intertwined with truth. But also being Christ-like means we're going to have to sacrifice. And if you read the letters of Paul, it's all about sacrifice. Yeah. He's pouring himself out. He's denying himself. Even the rights of getting paid a proper wage for his services, which he doesn't say is wrong. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I'm going to put that aside because I want my testimony to be untarnished to you. I don't want any accusation to be able to come against me. Mm. Yeah. So how would that, I guess, play out? Like, would you be able to give an example of how you could apply those values to today and a modern situation? Right. Well, I would say being able to uh, give of our time is huge. We covet our time a lot in our culture. So being able to sacrifice some of our time to spend chatting with somebody, going out for coffee with them, that speaks volumes and that's not even that hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to love those who are beneath us in our station. So there are a lot of people who are socially awkward and uh, they just need somebody to listen to them oftentimes mm-hmm. and just making space for that to happen. It's not about going through shipwrecks all the time like Paul did or being whipped and beaten like he yeah. was. Just these little things will yeah. speak so much in our culture. Mm-hmm. I think that's really good. I think, I don't know where I heard it, but somewhere I heard that like one of the greatest ways that you can show love towards someone is by sacrificing things. So whether it be your time, whether it be your money, um, but obviously the ultimate showing of sacrifice would be your own life which is what Christ did, which is yep. showing how much he loved us. He was willing to mm-hmm. die. Um, so sacrificing time is huge. And it sounds silly to say, oh, just spend time with someone. But you're right. Like, I, I haven't really thought about it. I haven't given it tons of thought that we really do not make time like we should uh, when it comes to spending time with people that need it. Yeah. It's like, well, well, I could, but, you know, it kind of inconvenienced me because I got to drive, you know, across yeah. the city. Uh, just to see someone who probably needs it, by the way, yeah. who could use a friend. Like, it seems pretty standard in our culture today, like in Western society, at least, like to always be about yourself and it's you first and then others come later. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's that's my, one of my biggest problems. One of my biggest uh, pet peeves, I guess, is this saying that's like fix yourself and everything's everything is about you and you need to get right first. And I've heard people break up because like, oh, I'm just not right. And everything's focused on yourself. I mean, we have social media pages like Instagram where the entire thing is just pictures of your face. Yeah. <laughs> like we're so self-centered. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, hmm. Like everything just seems to be me, me, me. And I'm guilty of it too. I have done that. But the times where I've just gone not even that far out of my way to mm-hmm. help a friend seems to have a huge impact on those who really need it. 
So that could be a way that we could apply it to today. Yeah. Yeah. And we make all these excuses too. Yeah. Like I'm totally guilty of that where it's like, uh, no, I can't today because uh, gas prices or something like that. I'm not for me, but, yeah. or like, oh, I'm tired or I have this thing to do, but, and like we can, we're pretty good at human beings. I, I guess are pretty good at lying to themselves. <laughs> so we, we can very easily justify through something, um, doing to do Justify doing what we want to do, whether it's giving into simple desire or just being self-centered or not looking out for one another, just looking out for your best interests. And like, we'll believe it and we'll tell it to other people and they'll believe it. And they'll also, they might use the same justification if they, because it doesn't take much to convince someone. Mm -hmm. Well, depending on how grounded they are, but depending on how grounded they are, it usually doesn't take much to convince someone. Um, that it's okay to look after themselves or to be self-interested or right. to give into their desire. Yeah. yeah. That's very true. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> we do a lot of that in our culture, promoting self-care is what they call it. Yes. yes. Yeah. Which can be idolatry if you're not careful. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. a good thing to do at some points, but yeah. yeah. I think it's good to have a, a balance between like what you're doing for yourself and like what you're doing for other people and try to find like what works and what God's telling you to do, like always bring it back to God and pray about it too. About how, how are you spending your time and how can you, um, like make time for others, but also like you need time for yourself too, but how to actually strike that right, like balance mm -hmm. between them. Not to call out this guy, but as an example, but you're going to do it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Joel Osteen. Let's just look at some of the titles of his books. Oh my, your best life. Now you are stronger. The power of I am <laughs> become a better you. It's your time. Really? Those are actual um, book titles? Now, there is actually some... I've, I've listened to a lot more of his sermons this year than I ever have before, and I used to paint it all as bad. He does have some truths in it, but there's a lot of problems. But anyways, there still is, even within the church, there's this huge emphasis on, on ourselves. And mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, we should make sure that we're keeping ourselves in check and that we're following Christ. That's not the point, but the point is that we're no longer trying to share Christ with others. Evangelism is... Kind of going by the wayside. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there's a um, a speaker that I listened to, Nabil Qureshi. He had passed away, but he he was a convert from Islam to Christianity. And he was saying, like, man, like back in the day to do missionary work, you had to fly across the entire world. But now we're living in Canada and United mm -hmm. States. We're, they're coming here. We don't even have to get out of our seats, really. They're just right outside mm -hmm. our doors. And yet we're still not willing to go talk to them and, and show yeah. Christ's love to them. Like, we don't even have to go across the world anymore. We can tell them about Christ now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But evangelism is a whole other topic. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, how can you uh, evangelize people but do it in a way that shows love? Like, I know a lot of people say that Christians are judgmental and that, like, they turn people off. Like, how can you use love to actually turn people to actually come to church and want to know Christ more? Right. Well, I think a firm understanding of what the gospel truly is, is going to go a long way. So I think we misrepresent the gospel sometimes as being like, well, you just got to clean your act up and come to Christ where it's like, no, we, right. we get cleaned up when we come to Christ mm -hmm. and there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And guess what? I'm sharing the gospel with you right now, but I am in, I am in need of grace. Like we all need mm -hmm. grace. I'm not better than you. Mm. And that's not why I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian just because of what Christ did. And I've accepted that. Mm -hmm. 
the Christ looks at you the same way that he looks at them. Yeah. If we see ourselves in their shoes, like Mm -hmm. even empathy goes a long way, right? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Like if I was raised in the same situation as a lot of folks these days, who knows where I'd be? Mm-hmm. If I grew up in downtown Winnipeg with one parent who's an addict and has a lot of different people coming through the house, like, yeah, I'd probably be pretty bitter. I'd probably be pretty angry. So how can I speak to a person like God didn't want this for you? God wanted this perfect relationship with his creation in the garden, but sin came into the situation. But you can have that relationship now through a Christ accomplished on the cross. And no matter what happens in this world... Mm-hmm. You are secure in him. Mm. I think finding our hope in reality too. I think we sometimes give people a false hope. Like if you come to Christ, everything's going to get better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They don't believe that and they, neither should they believe that. Yeah. I mean, all the apostles <laughs> got persecuted and most yep. of them were martyred. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's not that's a realistic a, expectation. I think that's a, a hurtful lie that unfortunately a lot of Christian churches have started well, it's been going on for a while, but it seems to be very strong right now is that once you come to Christ, you're promised health, wealth, and happiness, which I'm sorry, you're not going to find that in scripture. Yeah. Right. Like you said, look at all the apostles. It's just not true. But I like what you had to say there. And I think something that I've, I've noticed is that we do have to obviously remember to tell them about the gospel, but be their friend. (laughs) Like, Hmm. I actually get to know them and allow them to feel not only God's love, but like allow them to see, Oh, like I want them, I want to be able to stand out to them in the fact of, I want them to think about me later. They'd be like, Oh, there's something different about Justin. What is it? Like he's so kind to me and he's asking me about my, my, how my family's been doing. And you know, like that's other ways that we can show Christ too, is just by showing them that love, that Jesus would, right? Like he, that he showed the Samaritan woman, like the woman at the well who had seven husbands and she was seen as unclean and who wasn't a Jew. So they, they looked at her differently. She's kind of the outcast. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's huge. I think that's, I, I think that really can make an impact mm-hmm. besides just sharing the gospel, which is obviously paramount is the most important thing that we have to do. But I don't think they're going to want to accept it unless we we show them Christ's love through our actions towards them too. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that with Christians, like you're saying, leading by example there, Justin, because like a lot of like, if you've been a long time Christian and you've been practicing the fruits of the spirit and all that stuff and you've been living by the the commandments and the ideologies that were given to you by the Bible and you can see that they work, right? They may not necessarily decrease suffering. It gives you a way to deal with the suffering, I guess. Christianity doesn't promise that you leave uh, life free of suffering, but it certainly helps you live with it and deal with it, and you're much better off with it, and you improve the lives of yourself and the people around you. And, like, if you're a long-time Christian, you're practicing these things, you might know that, but convincing someone else um, is the best way you can do it, I guess, is if they can see, if they are around you, and they can see it work for your life with their own eyes. And they could say, well, this really works well for him. Maybe it'll work well for me too. And I guess I never really thought about that too much. I mean, living by example, I've heard that many, many times growing up as a Christian. I've, I think any um, individual in a hardcore Christian family has heard that you need to live, lead by example and people will see that. But 
that really is the best way to prove it. Now, if I think about it, because you can say that all this stuff improves your life and makes you happier and improves lives around you, but if you demonstrate it, that all these things work, that's the best evidence you could give. I know where I was going with that. <laughs> it's okay. It was yeah. a good point to have. So, And getting back to like love impacting your evangelism, that was a right. great question. I think, yeah, what, what's in First John here, in uh, chapter 4, verse 19, simply says, we love because he first loved us. Mm. Yeah. And if we understood the love of God, the grace of God, which implies that we understand our own filth, like the, the mm-hmm. lack of deserving that we have of that love, that's going to impact our evangelism all the more to people. It's not about who you are. It's about who God is. That's yeah. where love is rooted in, in God, not in ourselves. And mm-hmm. we keep trying to love people because of ourselves. Like, well, I got to stir up some love for somebody. That's not mm-hmm. how it works. It right. comes from our love for God. Mm-hmm. God's love for us ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Have you been like preaching a lot of sermons about this issue it seems to be flowing heavily on your heart yeah well when i first got to the church i preached through first john because i think it's a really good foundation for understanding um the proper understanding of sin and grace like getting them meshed together oh, okay you can't talk about grace like come receive the grace of god come to a relationship with god without understanding our own sin it's very yeah. shallow mm-hmm and we'll never really understand God's love. Like understanding the weight of sin makes God's love and his grace all the more greater. When we minimize sin, we minimize all the best things about God. In regards to keeping love in the church, do you find that, or do you think that there's going to be a revival in some way of, because right now we're in this rough spot where we want to love, but... Like you say, God's at the center and we're kind of doing it wrong. People are kind of confused about it. Do you think it'll ever come back around or do you think it's going to stay like this till the end times? Well, I do think, well, okay, as far as the end times goes, the church and world history at large, I mean, even outside of North America, different pockets of the world at different times throughout history have gone through their fair share of struggles. So it's hard to know exactly when the end is or what's going to happen in the church because the church has mm-hmm. been in some bad spots. Mm-hmm. They were killing each other at one point. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So I I think there's hope. There's always hope. But it all comes down to a, a proper love for God. And mm-hmm. sound doctrine is something that Paul and Peter, they're passionate about in their writings. Like, let's preserve the truth. Let's seek knowledge of God above all and keep the devil out of our church. We don't talk about the devil much anymore. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that. Or we I talk about him too. in very like loose ways. Like, yeah, over in other countries, they're demon possessed people. Right. There might be a couple hanging around downtown, but other than that, the devil's not really active. Well, no, yeah. <laughs> the devil works in our thoughts. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's one of my key passages relating back to this is mm. in, uh, Second Corinthians 11, he says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led away uh, astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Mm. That's what the Mm. devil does is he deceived Eve away from God, doubting God, doubting God's intention. Did he really Mm -hmm. say that? What a, what a jerk that God is. Yeah. Yeah. But no, we need to really understand who God is, preserve that 
And uh, it says just a chapter back before that in Second uh, Corinthians 10, verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. It's in our thoughts. That's where our love comes from, is keeping our minds on Christ, understanding who he is, and having that pure devotion for him. That's how we keep love in our churches. If we can get individuals, and I think that's the role of pastors as shepherds, is to point people towards Christ, to keeping them more Christ-like. And the more we can point individuals to being Christ-like, that's how we change our churches and our culture. That's mm-hmm. how we impact the world ultimately. So it really starts on the on the individual level and then the community level where a pastor would play into it. And then communities can start to change the society as a whole. Yeah. Yes. That's kind of the idea, I guess. Yeah, like I can't focus on a, a group of people as much as individuals. I think mm-hmm. it's it's a fool's errand to try and change a group. We have to help individuals catch that passion and all the pastors and since I've been pastoring I've been uh, meeting with a lot of different pastors in the city and that's what they say is they find people who are passionate they spend time investing in them yeah and then other people catch that passion and then you you help each other invest in each other that way and that's how you change the church culture not through mm-hmm. programs sound doctrine and good teaching is key absolutely but uh, those relationships mm-hmm. that's where it, that's where it starts that's discipleship Disi- and I guess Disciples all, Quest. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking the same thing. And right, everyone's connected through, well, social connections. And so, I mean, this you being a pastor, this is your full-time job, but even at an individual level, individual members of the congregation and to our listeners, I guess that's what we could be doing is just not trying to change the world all in one shot, but trying to remind our fellow Christians and congregational members. Well, I guess, no, that's fine because we're supposed to hold each other accountable. So we could be investing in individual fellow congregational members or fellow Christians on their, I'll say, disciples quest (laughs) and have that effect carry forward. Mm. Yep. Yeah, I think that's what pastors and everyone needs in churches are people who are going to help do that work. Because I can't, you might have a better connection with somebody than I could even have mm-hmm. with yeah. them. And they might not want to go for coffee with Pastor Tim, and that's okay. Yeah. But yeah. If, if you spend time with them as individuals, that's huge. I really think pastors can have a huge impact uh, on the individual level. I mean, I've seen in my own life. It helps that I've been going to the same church my whole life, but like I would almost consider our pastor like a second father. Hmm. Like mm-hmm. that that's how close I feel. And I I know another pastor who one time just out of nowhere, I mean, it's not out of nowhere. I mean, I think the spirit moved him to do this, was um I was just having a rough week and just nothing was going right. Mm-hmm. Boom, I get a text from him and it just said, Wanna go for coffee? And I was like, Oh, I need this, yes. Yes, let's go. We went for coffee and just had like a just a one to one bro talk about life and and he opened up to me about his past so like it was so much better because now I'm like oh I don't just feel like you're like this high up guy pastor now mm. like oh I can actually relate to you because you've gone through the same things that I've gone through and then he ended that conversation with 
like I will be your uh, what, what was his words? I think he said something like, "Yeah, I will be your mentor like mm. for the rest of your life if you want." Nice. And I was like, "Oh man!" Like, yeah, I always kind of looked at him as that, but to hear it, someone say that was just huge. It's amazing. So, yeah, I think um, that's that's really awesome, and that's that's something that I want to do for people that are younger when I'm older too. I want to be that same kind of, I guess, mm. person that they know that they can go to. And it doesn't even have to be when I'm older, but like even with my friends too, like I want them to know that as Christians, like we, we are to love each other, but we're also to keep each other accountable. And I think a lot of people avoid that because it's confrontational mm. to, to call someone out. Mm-hmm. But the Bible does this is where people get confused sometimes, right? About judgment is that, well, you shouldn't judge, but there's a difference between judgment. Like, there's good judgment and bad judgment. Like, a, a judge uh, in a court case, well, he would we consider him to be a good judge because he's hopefully uh, keeping them accountable for their actions. And I think as Christians, we're to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. If I see my fellow brother stumbling and falling from from Christ, I need to tell him, hey, man, like, what are you doing? You know that this isn't right. Like, follow Christ and and bring them back into it. And I think... That's something that me and William have been able to have. I mean, we've been friends since we were born, but we've been able to have that with each other is that relationship of like, dude, like what you doing here, man? Um, and keeping each other accountable, which I think everyone needs someone like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So whether it be a pastor or another con- congregational person. Yeah. It's important to be sincerely trying to help, like to be constructive at the spirits leading you. When it comes to judging others, um, like, of course, we need to judge. And so that's something that people, I think, overuse in our modern culture is don't judge. Hey, you shouldn't say that. Don't judge. But it's like, well, no, we have to. And it's really important that we do, but not in the spirit of ranting, not in the spirit of complaining, not in the spirit of gossiping or any of those type of things. That's all for the wrong reasons. And Mm you speak in a spirit of love. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're trying to help. You're trying to be constructive. You're trying to make things better. Um Probably, so, yeah, probably one of the most like harsh statements in the Bible about judgment is where uh, Paul says in First Corinthians five, "Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge?" Like oh. this is regarding a really heinous sin in the church, some sexual immorality that was going on unchecked. But then he says, "God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you." <laughs> oh yeah, so pretty harsh. But yeah. if you look just a chapter before that, he says. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Jesus Christ through the gospel. Mm. So that's the key. If we have that kind of fatherly relationship mm-hmm. and care for people, like if pastors are like, Justin, what you're saying your pastor was doing, coming alongside you, wanting to build into you and mentor you. Mm-hmm. that's where church discipline makes way more sense than just this condemnation judgment. It's no, I care about you. You can't keep doing this. Or just this place where you go to hear a guy speak and then you leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is a lot of churches. They they don't have that connection, which I think is why, why go like now it just seems like a university lecture. Like it doesn't even mm. seem like a community. It doesn't, I don't think that was the point. Um, but yeah. Um, so if there was such a thing as a perfect church, what would you see within it? 
I think, well, ultimately we're going to see people who have such a deep love for God and an understanding of uh, what Christ accomplished on their behalf, that it's going to impact their relationship with each other. It's going to be one that comes alongside, has the courage to confront sin in a brother or sister's life, to be able to help them, to guide them. Mm. It's going to be a community that's able to forgive one another when there's wrongs that are done. It's going to be quite opposite from a lot of churches today. There won't be any gossip in it. Mm. There'd be more concern and care and love. And it's going to look absolutely insane to people that aren't Christians. They're going to scratch their heads in wonder. Mm. They're going to think we're nuts. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. Nice. Is there anything that we didn't cover or any last minute thoughts or advice that you'd like to give to our listeners? Okay, well, it's. I'll just sum up this idea I read in a book from uh, an author named Rod Dreher, I think you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. He talks about this idea of this storm that we've been facing in our culture. And sometimes we get so overwhelmed because all we see is the, these waves crashing around us and we become overwhelmed. We're trying to push back against the storm, but that's not what we should be doing. We should be building an ark and calling people onto that ark in the midst of the storm. And I think when we look at the political state we've been in for who knows how long now, it's so hostile, it's so volatile. People talk about politics with such passion that they there's hatred towards one another and it can creep into our churches if we're not careful. If we could just keep our focus on the fact that, yes, the world's falling apart. Yes, there's accusations flying left, right, and center at each other. But guess what? Here's the gospel in the middle of all that. Mm-hmm. And that's where true peace will come. You want to make peace in this world? Government policies, yes, they're good. But true peace comes from people who have accepted Christ coming together. That's how, that's the only unity, the only peace that's going to change the world. We were kind of saying that mm-hmm. last week. Like we were talking about the armor of God last week. And it's like <clears throat> like the one part was saying like, yeah, these these battles and these wars on earth are important, but they're not nearly as important as the spiritual battle that's mm. going on. Like those mean nothing in comparison. And what really matters is saving people's souls at the end of the day. Cool. And uh, the last verse I was just thinking about uh, with that last part that you said was um, Romans 12 verse 12. Uh, sorry, Romans 12 verse 2. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Mm-hmm. I think that ties in great. It absolutely does. Well, this has been good. Um, mm-hmm. That's all we've got time for today, I think. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for coming on, Pastor Tim. I really appreciate that. We all do. Yeah, it's it been awesome fun. It was discussion. Awesome well, thanks for having me. A guest. <laughs> yeah. First yeah. guest. First yes. guest. <laughs> Hopefully many more. Maybe we'll have yes. Pastor Tim on again sometime. Yeah, Who knows? that would be great. I think yeah. we will. I, I don't see why not. <laughs> cool. Well, if he wants to come back, though. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, true. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Excellent. Yeah, so that's all we've got time for today. If you guys want, you can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We have our website, disciplesquest.net, where we will release a blog every Wednesday that Emily writes. We have a Patreon account. Shout out to our three Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you. Brandon, Nathaniel, and Darlene. Um, we really appreciate you guys. Thanks for your support. Emily, did you want to end this podcast in prayer? Yes. God, thank you that we were able to gather today and that Pastor Tim was on our podcast. Thank you for the discussion that uh, that we had and help it to 
um, be something that we think about throughout the week and not just um, something that we listen to and then just forget about because love is such an important thing. Help us to love people and to have more love in our churches. Help us to be mentors and find mentors to be accountable to each other and to just have love and um, ways to put others before ourselves instead of just always thinking about ourselves. Help us to not be selfish. <laughs> Amen. 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 Awesome. Thank you all for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. See ya. Bye. Bye. Hello. I just decided to record this audio bite in post edit. That was a really interesting conversation that we had today with Pastor Tim and I hope we can have him on again sometime soon. If you like the way that Pastor Tim thinks and his theology, then you should check out one of his sermons in person. You can find them at Christian Fellowship Chapel at 565 Osmond Street on a Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. That's when they do their fellowship and coffee. And at 10.45 a.m., that's when the service starts. Also at Christian Fellowship Chapel, they have some upcoming events. They have a Good Friday service upcoming on April 15th at 10.45 a.m. They have a Resurrection Sunday service at April 17th, also at 10.45 a.m. They also have a Friday Young Adults Ministry board game night at 7.30 p.m. on April the 22nd. And they also have various programs that carry on regularly throughout the week. You can find these programs at cfc-wpg.org where they post regular updates and ongoing events. And you can also check them out on Facebook and Twitter if you type in Christian Fellowship Chapel. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful week.